0: Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Marked by love, we're a tribe of human beings learning, learning, what it means to live an abundant life, restored to our true identity in Jesus. That's the vision of restored Church. It's even in the name of the church. And so we're working through a series right now of starting points. And we've been talking about the way that um, sin has messed up our lives. We've talked about the challenge and opportunity of being uh, Christians who follow the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the power of forgiveness and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to be covering today is the theme of grace. Some of what I talk about will uh, overlap with what's been covered, but that's okay. The gospel is pretty simple. What I'd like to do is start with an image that I use often uh, when I'm talking about grace and uh justice and i'm going to test it with you and see if it resonates with you when you go into a court of law or when you come to a courthouse you often see a statue of a woman do you know what i'm talking about and she is often holding some law books and a scale and she's blindfolded and that's lady justice and i don't know about you but there are times when I kind of want that lady to throw the book of law at people, amen? We kind of want justice. We want justice to be impartial, we want it to be blind to the person, and we want it to weigh in the scales what is right and what is wrong. But what I'm going to talk about today with grace is that tension, because the reality is, is that when we stand in front of Lady Justice, I'm going to be willing to bet that you don't want her to be uh, blindfolded. I'm going to bet that you're going to want some grace and some mercy, even in the eyes of pure justice. Pure justice. I'm going to give you an example that happened to me. About, it would be, yeah, about... um, 17, almost 18 years ago. It was midnight, we were living in Toledo, and uh, I, I was driving um, about 15 miles an hour over the speed limit through a residential section in the middle of the night in a hurry to get back home. And I got pulled over. Now I have this thing where when I see blue lights in my rear view mirror, I go into kind of a panic attack. I'm kind of, I'm a person that likes to follow the rules and I just freak out when I see a police officer behind me. And I knew that I'd crossed the line. And so when he comes up to my window, he says, license and registration, please. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's back on my kitchen table. New registration and my license, my wallet. I was crying. And uh, it, was the, it, was, it was around the birth of my daughter and she was coming early and I was scared and I'd run my wife to the hospital without thinking about anything else, but he didn't know that. And before I knew it, I was out of the car and across the hood, okay? So it's in my brain that this is justice justicing. And I had to really work hard to forgive that officer because I felt like I had a reason for being the way I was. Because of the things that rolled out, that meant I had to go to traffic court. And I am so thankful that the judge looked at me and exercised some grace. Now granted, this is not the perfect story because he looked at my record and he did some other things and considered. But in my mind, what I'm thinking is, he really could have just thrown the book of the law at me. But he extended grace. Is there a more extreme example in your own life or another example like this? A moment that teaches and challenges you to think about what does it mean to live with justice and with grace? Are there moments in your life where you wish that somebody had not thrown the book of the law at you, but instead looked on you and said, you know, you've messed up. You probably deserve what you get, but I want to give you some grace. Or have you experienced it where that has not come through? I'd like to walk through a couple of things I've thought about with the word grace, and then we'll go into the scriptures. But I want to start with the idea that grace is showing favor when there's unworthiness. It's something that maybe isn't even asked for. We sometimes mix that up with the word mercy, which means somebody has the power to really punish us and make us um, really hurt and suffer, but instead then they, they show kindness towards us. So the word grace and mercy can sometimes feel interchangeable. And when we talk about grace in the context of our faith we're talking about god's grace who looks upon us and can see every little wart every little wrinkle every every hair that's falling out of our head every hair that's turning white and he'll say you know what that's okay i still love you you are beloved you are my child so when i think about grace i kind of want another image to come out i use this image a lot i feel like you know sometimes when you sit down at the counter with a friend at a restaurant and they slap down two drinks in front of you and it sloshes over the edge because you know they just filled it up and they wanted to make sure you got the full amount and some of it sometimes gets a little on your neighbor and you're just kind of okay with it because you just want somebody who bumps up against you or rubs you the wrong way, you want some grace to splash onto them. You want they, you want their experience with you as a follower of Jesus Christ. To feel like your cup is overflowing, like the psalmist said, in a way that there's an abundance that other people want some of what you have, even in the difficult and traumatic and unjust times. So I want to start with this idea of personal grace. This thought that first, sometimes we just need to extend some grace to ourselves. I know the staff here at Restore is working through a book called Live No Lies, or and it's by John Mark Cummer, Pastor John Mark Cummer. And he just opens with this beautiful explanation that the beginning of spiritual warfare is when we begin to speak truth over the lies that we're running in our heads. That the, the, the tool that Satan wants to use to take us off task is the running lies that are in our head that are speaking untruths over us. Each one might be unique to where you may be at. Arthur jo- author John Acuff calls this the soundtracks in our lives. What kind of soundtracks are playing? I really do wish as uh, somebody who loves a, la- a large variety of music that I could just kind of hit the Spotify like forward button and just jump ahead to the next track in my head. But that's not always so easy, is it? And I know what happens when that song is stuck on repeat. That's when we begin to start self-medicating. It's when we begin to start feeling sorry for ourselves. It's when we start picking away at things, when we um, start to tear down ourselves from within. To be vulnerable with you i mean i deal with this on a lot of different levels gene talked about how i was a pastor and now i work with pastors and there's a temptation to kind of think of yourself on this like different plane sometimes but you know uh there are things there are soundtracks in my head i was born an only child and so i have this running soundtrack that i'm just never getting enough done or measuring up enough because I feel like all my parents' eggs are in one basket. Maybe that resonates with some of you. It's a struggle I have sometimes with my hearing problem that I mishear somebody or I misunderstood somebody's tone of voice and then I let that go into my spirit and my soul and it tells me that I'm not worthy. It's the times when I can think back to laser-focused moments when I was 10 years old or 15 and I said something to a fellow student or to a a teacher, and I wish I could just go back and take it back, but how many of us have something that happened years ago in our head and it's like a laser-focused moment and you still haven't allowed yourself to have some grace? And just say, you you know, even if you've apologized to the person, it can still keep playing over in your head. We need God. We need people to speak the truth of his love over our lives. Amen? If there's some of you here today just that, that this is speaking to you, know that we'll have a time of prayer after this. And we just want to speak truth and love over you. So you don't even have to say something if you come forward. We'll just pray over you. I'd like to speak now to another point of community grace, grace for others. This is attention. Man, I tell you what, I love quality. I love things that are put together well. I mean, one of the things that I just love about Restore is the time and the effort that, say, like the worship team puts together into their work. And yet we all know there are hiccups and there's mistakes. And then how do we extend grace towards each other? What does it mean to live? with that tension. And I don't know about you, but the last couple of years have brought this into living color, amen? I mean, let's just say, I'll say, politics and coronavirus. (laughs) All right, okay, I don't have to say anything more. I should also note that grace is not a free pass for ongoing abuse, for rejecting injustice. But in the last season, we've learned that maybe we need a little more grace with each other. A couple of examples. I ran this past my wife ahead of time, so we're good. Been married 22 years. So 365 days a year, if I mess up at least once a day, that's about 8,030 times she's had to extend grace to me. And she said, that's kind of being safe. <laughs> and just to know, guys, uh, it's a trap. Don't, don't then say you've done the same for me. It's kind of like asking, how did this outfit look? No, I'm kind of kidding. But you know what I'm going here, right? I mean, if you live close to somebody, if you're in relationship with someone, we all have sharp edges. We all have unredeemed parts of our lives. We have our personalities and our differences. And if I'm next to somebody, I'm going to poke them. I'm going to rub against them. And when you're in relationship with someone, it's just a guarantee that you're going to screw up even if you have the most perfect relationship and you are in love with each other. There are times when you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you look at the person and you say, you know, I'm not feeling particularly loving right now, but I love you, right? I'm not saying anything new to the married couples here, right? And so therein we need to extend grace. Again, I'll note, this is not a pass for ongoing abuse and unrepentant behavior, but we all need to show a little more grace in our relationships. And all we have to do now is say, okay, those who are parents, let's take it to another level. If you have seven kids like I do, we have lots of opportunity to extend grace. And I struggle with it. Anybody else? Because you want what's best for your relationship and your children and it just gets tough sometimes. So let's think about the workplace. I used to have a spiritual leader that when I'd walk into a a fast food restaurant with him, he'd come up to the cashier and just immediately begin assuming that the cashier was stupid. And I don't know what it was about him, but the minute he started making an order and working with this person, he treated him like less than human. I used to be horrified because I thought to myself, what if this person walked through our doors next Sunday and he's talking about the grace of Jesus Christ? And then heaven forbid the order get messed up. Later, when I began my first full-time job working in the marketing department for a symphony, I ran a box office. And upstanding leaders in the community would come in and place their orders. And oh my word, talk about an environment of no grace. Every one of us who have been in the workforce can be playing a soundtrack in your head right now of places where people have not shown you grace or where you have been tempted to not show grace. If we are honest with ourselves, we have all contributed in some way to this kind of brokenness. I don't have to go back into my phone text message history very far or my conversations at home when I've gotten home from work with my children to find that this is an ongoing work in my own life relating to other people. Are you in a place, maybe this is a place this week something happened that you just want to come down front later in the service and have just a prayer of blessing over you to allow yourself to live into the newness of God's grace each day. And now I'd like to talk about spiritual grace because the reality of it is, is we can try all these things ourselves on our own power, but we can't. We will always fall short unless we've experienced the spiritual grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need only to look to Jesus Christ who gave everything, sacrificed everything that we might experience grace. We follow a savior who was pinned to a tree like a bug and looked at his friends, his family, and the Roman and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. This is the example that he has set before us. And this is what makes following Jesus Christ so different than any other faith. I know of faith and philosophies that say, live for yourself, do everything you can to further your own personal happiness. And on the other end, you have religions that you grovel your way up the stairs towards the God, whether it's literal or figurative. And we instead discover that we hungrily gather up the morsels of grace that we've received from the Lord, and we want to give that back to other people in our day-to-day lives. How might we follow Jesus in the days to come where people see a sloshing grace onto our neighbors and our friends and even our enemies? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I even feel like the church has been the place where we experience the most soul-crushing places of legalism and lack of grace. If you have your phone or your bible let's go to romans because i'm going to bring up a passage here from romans 5. paul loves to write grace and peace to you and the beginning of almost all of his letters and so paul uh, is really concerned about us experiencing the grace of jesus christ and if you look at the middle of romans 5 He's been talking about how sin comes into the world through Adam, the first man, and how Adam is a symbol of Jesus Christ because sin comes into the world through one man, another man comes to take it away. So if you look at Romans 5, starting at verse 15, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to the condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. For all who receive it, who receive his gift of grace and righteousness, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but God's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one man disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Wow. The weight of sin is heavy. We're all aware of it in different ways in our lives. What then might it look like for us to consider that the weight of God's grace is greater? So great that when it's pressing down on us, it's spilling out to other people. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Even greater, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. For everyone who received it will triumph over sin. Let's go on to verse 20. For God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are, but people sinned more and more. As people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin ruled over all people, bringing them to death. And we know that the work, we'll go ahead and have that back up still here. The sin rules over us We know that, we live in a world, we look around, we see death and destruction and sinfulness all around us. But God's wonderful grace rules instead. It's pushing back and it's going to win totally at the end of time. But now we who represent God's grace in this world, it says we have right standing with God which counters those personal grace needs, right? It comes in and it rewrites the soundtrack and results in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think the last time I was here and I did a a prayer moment, eternal life, life of the ages, it's not just about the life of tomorrow or the future, it's the life for today. Life of the ages is in the original Greek. He wants us to have an abundant life now in his grace, not just when we get to heaven. I don't know about you, but that's what I want an abundant life of the ages? What does it mean for us to live in triumph over sin and death? To know that when people interact with us, whether it's about our personal narrative or about our corporate relationships in marriage or in business or in our neighbors, that they want what we have, that they experience God's grace through us, This makes everything an opportunity for grace. Everything an opportunity for grace. Are you catching that? When everything goes right and when everything goes wrong, it's an opportunity for us to experience God's grace and give it. I came across this saying a while ago, and then I found the wider quote, and I'd like to read it to you from Saint Therese of Lisieux. Everything is a grace. Everything is the direct effect of our Father's love, difficulties, contradictions, humiliation, all the soul's miseries, her burdens, her needs, everything. Because through them, she learns humility, realizes her weakness, Everything is a grace because everything is God's gift, whatever be the character of life or its unexpected events, to the heart that loves all is well. We follow a redeemer. That means there's an expectation that things need to be redeemed, remembered, restored. So every opportunity, every exchange we have with our inner narrative and with the people that we work with is an opportunity to experience, receive, and give God's grace. It's been a real honor to have an opportunity to spend some time and share with you. I've said often that uh, I've enjoyed getting to know this congregation over the last year and a half. I've enjoyed sitting shoulder to shoulder with you. If anyone's heard me preach before, there's nothing I say up here that isn't also working in my heart, that isn't also convicting me. I don't want to bring things to you that I want to say I've arrived. I'm saying these things to you because the Lord's been working in my heart as well. And so I stand with you, not on the stage, but shoulder to shoulder with you, that my desire that I've been sharing with you today is the same desire that I have for you, that you may have the abundant life, the victorious life in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.